us started last sunday we were speaking about listening to the voice of the lord we said we did the first part very kind of laid the foundation of what it means to really listen to the voice of god and we said the first most important foundation is understanding that any voice any voice cannot be of god unless and until it corroborates with the word of god and that is the scriptures if anything that you hear does not corroborate with this in any way contradicts this you know it cannot match it cannot fit in place to scripture then there is a problem and i believe that the holy spirit is impressing upon us today to continue with these series of how to hear the voice of the lord now if you are waiting for some magic formula by which you can hear the voice of the lord that's not going to happen if you are waiting for some thunderous voice that may or may not happen i'm not saying no but if you're waiting for some formula to work and say okay fine if i get this formula right i will hear the voice of the lord that's not entirely true because we feel and we've got this idea that we've got to reach a level of holiness okay and by holiness we feel holiness actually means closeness to god and if we've got that level of closeness to god then we will hear him but i want to tell you and break it to you god is father can you say that god is father and he has displayed in ways more than one his fatherly nature and what it means that he is father you remember that verse from scripture which says that you are now no longer far away you have been brought near by what you have been brought near by what by the blood of jesus christ that because of the blood of jesus christ you were once far away but now you have been brought near by the blood of jesus christ now i want to ask you brought near to what brought near to what brought near to the closeness in the proximity of being part of the household of god of being part of the family of god so it's not about you reaching some level no 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 it's not about you reaching some level because god wants to speak to you more than you even want to hear him amen god wants to speak to you more than you want to hear him in fact he wants to speak to you to such an extent that i don't know whether you want to hear him because when he speaks he speaks truth His word is truth. 
Remember, every time that I'm trying to say, okay, fine, how to listen to the voice of God, how to hear His voice, what to do, what... See, I'm not talking about anything that contradicts scripture, you see? So if you hear, and you hear God tell you, listen, that neighbor of yours, he has caused a lot of harm and a lot of jealousy. Come on, go and do such and such thing so that you can exact my justice upon him. Now that is not God. Because the word of God says, love your enemies. Do you understand? See, listen, nothing that God, that, that, the confusion is this, whether is what I hear, God or not. Okay? And it has been taught and preached to us that there is either God or my head or the devil. Right? That's what we've been taught. That when you hear something, it's either God or my head or the devil. And so our whole thinking is, okay, fine. Is it me? Is it the devil? Or is it God? What am I listening to right now? Is it me? Is it the devil? Or is it God? What am I listening to right now? Is it me? Is it the devil? Or is it God? But you know what? You won't find a reference to something like this in one place in scripture at all. You won't find it. The scripture never makes such a comparison. Never. Scripture never makes such a comparison. The reason scripture never makes such a comparison is because you and I have got to understand one word. It's a very short word. It's a very simple word. Off. We've got to understand what off means. You might say, what a strange thing to understand. What, what do you mean off? If I say I am off God, what does it mean? If I say I am off the world, what does it mean? I've got to understand off. Okay? I've got to understand belongingness. I've got to understand what it means to belong to something. Do you understand? I've got to get it straight. I've got to understand what it means for me to belong to something. What does it mean? Like for example, if you say you belong to the Indian army, what are the repercussions? What does it mean for you? If I say I belong to the Indian army, so what? What does that mean? It means I can get called to war anytime I want? That means I've got an authority of the army over my head? Yes, that means I am my own boss, but I have decided by my own free will to be in the army, right? I also have got certain rules and protocol that I need to follow, right? Belonging to an army just does not mean I flash around an ID card saying that I'm an army person. Belonging to the army has got a whole life associated with it. Do you understand? Belonging to an army has got a whole life associated with it. So if I say I am of God, what does it mean? I am born of God, what does it mean? I am of the world, what does it mean? I've got to get it right. Because if so, if I don't get that right, I'm still going to think, is what I heard from God, is it from the devil, is it from my head? And you are in for a big, rude shock if you still go on with that mentality. Because you've got to understand belongingness. Amen? Okay, let's start.
this is the first the first scene that really takes place okay matthew 16 when jesus came into the region of caesarea philippi philippi he asked his disciples what do men say that i the son of man am <laughs> tricky question what do men say that i the son of man am do you seriously think Jesus was concerned about men's impression of him? Let's find out. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say I am? See, listen, it all comes down to this, you see. If Jesus ever put forward an interview to his disciples, this was it. See, it does not matter who you claim he is. Who do you say he is? It does not matter who the group that you belong to claims he is. Who do you say he is? And you can't have different beliefs in the sense of, I can't say, okay, for me, Jesus is this. And then for her, for her, Jesus is this. And, and then Scott comes up and says, Scott says, for me, Jesus is so-and-so. Ravi says, for me, Jesus is so-and-so. Kiran says, for me, Jesus is so-and-so. Listen, Jesus has to be the Christ for you or nothing else. He has to be the Son of Man. He has to be the promised Messiah or nothing else. If Jesus is not the Christ for you, then you've got a figment of your imagination. You don't have the right Jesus. There are many people going around saying, Oh, Jesus is this for me. For me, Jesus is love. And for me, Jesus is this. And for me, Jesus is that. And for me, Jesus is that. Listen, how about if I went about talking about Melanie like that? For me, Melanie is joy. For me, Melanie is a smile. But all sounds nice and romantic, but it's not the true Melanie. See, Melanie has to be Melanie who stays in Porvorim. Or who, who's got a house in Porvorim who stays in Margaret. She has to be that Melanie, otherwise she's not Melanie. She can be some other Melanie. I can't talk about Debbie and say, okay, fine. When I think of Debbie, I think... Flowers. When I think Melanie, I, uh, when I think Debbie, I think flowers. Uh, listen, 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 listen. All that so-called talk is okay between people. But when push comes to shove, you've got to know the person for who the person is. If you want to really understand how to be able to listen to God and walk in his steps and, and listen to him, you, you've got to get it. You've got to get, you've got to get who he is. And here is Jesus standing there. And he says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen, if you don't get the identity of Jesus, you will have the wrong Jesus in your life. If you have the wrong Jesus in your life, you won't have the right passion for the right Jesus. You will have, the, you will have a wrong sort of passion and you will have the wrong Jesus and the wrong Lord in your life. If, if you don't have the right Jesus in your life, you don't have the right voice of God. Do you understand? You've got to understand who Jesus is. You've got to get his identity completely right. He is the son of the living God. 
If you think he's just a great teacher, so be it for you. But that does not change the truth. Listen, I can say that I breathe air. Avinash can come and say, I breathe water. And now, uh, who else? Uh, Tony can come and say, no, we breathe um, plasma gas. Okay, now, Avinash and Tony can stand on their heads. They can dance around as much to try and prove their point. But listen, the truth is very simple. We breathe air, right? Now, Avinash can start a whole association and an organization saying, we breathe water organization, right? Tony can start a whole organization saying, we breathe plasma gas organization. Listen. They can start, they can have multi-million dollar organizations if they want to, but it does not change the truth. We can't breathe plasma gas. We can't breathe water. We only breathe what? Air. We can start whatever things we want. There can be MLAs in the middle of the legislative assembly trying to compare this one to Jesus and that one to Jesus and saying we must take the example of Jesus. Some, some guy did it, I think, a few days back. says, we, we need to look at Jesus and be something, something, something. Be flexible. I don't know what he said. But, but you, you, you can't just go around quoting Jesus. You can't just go around and say, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, oh Jesus. Yeah, I understand. Great guy, great teacher. You can't do that. You've got to know the true Jesus. You can have a whole association. You can have a whole church talking about the wrong Jesus. That does not make you right. It does not make you right. Jesus has to be the son of the living God. Has to be the son of the living God. Verse 17. Jesus answered, said to him, Blessed are you, son of the... And he goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, I want you to go straight away to verse 21. Now, this guy understood who Jesus was. He got him right. Jesus praises him for that. He says, yes, he's the son of the living God. But I want to see what happens in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders. And the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, What does Jesus what does Peter say? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus. And here's all the other 11 guys. 12 guys, okay? 12 of them listening to him. Sorry, they're not smaller than him. They're the same level. And they're, all, they're all there. The 12 of them are there. And this guy has got a bit of boldness. He comes up and he says, You are the son of the living God. Right? And then he tells them about what he's supposed to go through. And this guy again has boldness and says, Far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Now, you might say, 
so stupid no peter was so stupid for him to say something like that but listen 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 you are saying it now that you know what jesus did on the cross but you've got to think in the line in the lines of peter because peter was standing before this jesus who worked the most wonderful miracles saved his mother-in-law healed so many people raised lazarus from the dead raised so many people from the dead he, he established the kingdom of god he was the only best likely candidate to be king of israel the only likely candidate to be the king of israel because herod was a fool in many ways there was no one else the only guy who came and who had the kingly authority when he spoke was jesus and he and and jesus says he's going to be killed and so jesus peter says no please not that not that not that i want you to listen to what jesus said back okay but before that i want you to think what peter said he says far be it from you lord this shall not happen to you right this is what jesus this is what peter said my question to you is very simple what would you say what would you say if you stood before jesus you just confessed him to be the son of the living god and then jesus says you know they're going to crucify me and he also says but i'm going to be raised on the third day what are you going to say probably the same thing oh why what is going to prompt you to say that what is going to prompt you to say that what is it that's going to push you to say far be it from you lord that shall never happen exactly exactly so so here is jesus he says i'm going to i'm going to be crucified but he doesn't leave with that okay he says i'm going to be raised on the third day but peter still doesn't get it because he feels okay fine i'm going to be crucified and raised means okay he's going to go up to heaven now which is obvious i mean you're the son of the living god you're going to go up there that's what he thought and peter was still operating under pure emotions yes or no yes or no yes yes do you agree yes i want you to listen to jesus's answer i, I want you to I want to clarify another thing. I'm not trying to say that you will get killed, okay? Or someone near to you will get killed. And at that time you don't have to act like this and you don't have to This is not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. Don't try to apply the wrong thing to the wrong context. Okay? I'm trying to tell you to look at this context where Jesus is and where you are where Peter was. And that's how I asked you, okay? Anyways, you've got to be careful these days. Okay, verse twenty-three. But he turned and said to Peter, 
Whom did he say to? Who was Jesus talking to? No. That's not what the word of all the word of God is wrong. But who was he talking to? That's not who he was talking to. Look at what he says there. Look at verse 23. Whoa. It says he was talking to Peter, right? And then he says, get behind me. Who? But he was talking to... But he says, get behind me. Now, now. Has Jesus got too emotional, maybe? And angry? What happens here? Why did he say, get behind me, Satan? I'll tell you why. I want you to put your finger here. Pause here. And I want you to turn to Romans 8. Most of the answers that you have given me are absolutely wrong when I asked you what would you say in place of Peter because you really didn't put yourself in the place of Peter. Had you put yourself in the place of Peter, you would have put yourself in the place of a Jewish man who knew that the, the, the prophets and the law like the back of their hand, who knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah who the Messiah was going to be like, where was he going to be born, and how the likeness of Jesus resembled completely every one of those 2,000 odd prophecies. Every one of those 2,000 odd prophecies. And it was the reason why Peter said, what did he say? You are the son of the living God. That was the reason why he said it. And Jesus said, it's not you, it's the Father's revealed to you. How did the Father reveal to him? Because of his word, obviously, by the Spirit also. And then he comes and he says, far be it from you. Why? I want you to turn to Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for a second, not for a second, did Peter listen to Jesus and try to link it to any of the prophecies. Had he listened to him, he would have immediately taught Isaiah 53. But he just had death and being killed. Right? He even missed the resurrection. He missed it entirely. Why? Because Peter was operating not as a man born again. Because he wasn't. He was operating completely out of the flesh. Completely out of the flesh. And so when you're operating out of the flesh, what is the thing that your mind set on? The things of the flesh. Right? Did, did Jesus ever speak out of the Spirit of God? Like, did he... 
ever speak apart from the Spirit of God. No, Jesus is the prime example of how a man who walked in the Spirit looked like, right? Prime example. Jesus never spoke out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ever, 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 ever. So here was Peter. He was listening to Jesus. Speaking about what was to happen. And he was speaking it completely in absolute detail by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter missed the point. Why? Because he was operating out of the flesh. So the first thing you've got to remember is this. If you're trying to hear the voice of the Lord, you can't operate out of the flesh. going to miss the point. You're going to miss the point. And that's the reason I've seen people give prophecies quite often. And quite often I see it's not not to blame anybody, not to condemn anybody, not to accuse anybody. It's just a correction so that we can change. Quite often I see so much of soul in it. So much of soul in it. It's just a sign that you have not understood certain things. And you're still operating under the flesh. Now here's the problem if you operate in the flesh. Listen to me. But those who live according to the Spirit. So first of all, you can live according to the Spirit. See, listen, if the Word of God says those who live according to the Spirit, that means it's a possibility. Listen, most of us look at this live according to the Spirit as a possibility that cannot be achieved. But I want to tell you, it is a possibility that can very much be achieved. In fact, if you kind of read the language that Paul puts in Romans 8, it's got to be something that you walk in if you are Christian. It's got to be something that you walk in if you are Christian. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The things of the spirit. You set your mind on things of the spirit, right? But those who live according to the flesh set their mind on what? On the things of the... To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because a carnal mind is... Come on, say it. Enmity against God. Now I want you to go back to John 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. It's one of those days that you're going to flip your Bible quite often. Gospel of John, chapter 10. Verse 10. Jesus calls somebody the enemy. I want you to think about it. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay. Does that make the thief the enemy or not? So who is the enemy? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Is Satan the enemy? Okay. If you don't believe this, you can go to 1 Peter. Chapter 5. 
1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 Be sober be vigilant because your adversary your adversary the devil in fact the, the kind of wording if you check in Greek is very interesting it says your adversary the false accusing advocate okay your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking him who he may de- devour seeking whom he may devour so who's the adversary are you absolutely sure completely okay but it says that the fleshly mind the carnal mind is enmity against god So is it safe for me to say that the carnal fleshly mind is the mind of the devil? That the carnal fleshly mind is nothing but the mind of the devil himself. Now Turn to 1 John, the first letter of John, chapter 5, verse 19. John is speaking about Christians and the people of the world. He's trying to give a comparison there of those who are of God and those who are not of God. And he says, says something very interesting. He says in 1 John 5, 19, he says, We know that we are of God and the whole world. Can you say whole world? The whole world lies under the sway. Okay. What's the meaning of sway? To sway means to be under the influence of. Right? To sway means to be under the influence of. Right? So, to lie under the sway of the wicked one, what does it mean? To be under the influence of the wicked one, which is Satan himself. Now, listen to this. The fleshly mind or the carnal mind is enmity against God. Satan is at enmity against God and anyone of the world again we come across that word of anyone of the world belonging to belonging to the world is under the sway of the wicked one and so has a fleshly mind which is at enmity against God now you come back to Matthew 16 but he just spoke from the father he said listen you are the son of the living God and then he switched oh boy that means 
you've got to be careful that you do not walk in the flesh. Because if you're walking in the flesh, you're walking under the sway of the devil himself. What you speak, what you act, will be from a carnal mind which is at enmity against God. Now I want you to listen to this. Get behind me, Satan. What does he say? Get behind me, Satan. So here it is. This is Jesus. This is Peter. And he calls him Satan. Well, he's not really attacking the personality of Peter directly. But what he's, the point he's trying to make. See, listen, Jesus always worked in the spiritual, okay? Jesus always looked in the spiritual. Jesus always spoke in the spiritual. Jesus never, never, not once will you see him operating in the physical, in the, in the fleshly, I mean, in the carnal. Never once. I mean, think about it. You come to the funeral of your best friend and you say, I'm the resurrection and the life. And all of them like, I know he's going to rise again one day. No, listen, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. Uh, that takes, I don't know, discipline to not be in the fleshly. But Jesus at all times operated in the spiritual. At all times. And so he's coming to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter must have been, Lord, I'm going to deny you. <laughs> Just kidding. Get behind me, Satan. Think about that. Which means what Jesus is looking at is the spiritual. In the spiritual, Peter is under the sway of the wicked one and is operating from a completely fleshly mind. Completely. And he says, get behind me, Satan. But what interests me is what he says after that. Listen to this. You are an offense to me. So the fleshly mind is an enmity against God, right? Completely corroborates what Jesus is saying. The fleshly mind is an enmity against God. Great. You are an offense to me. If you operate in the flesh, you will always be an enmity against God. You will operate in a direction that is completely opposite to what God wants you to operate. See, listen. The fleshly mind is a fleshly logical but a spiritually illogical mind. I repeat that again. The fleshly mind is a fleshly logical but a spiritually illogical mind. So in the flesh you will do something that in the flesh seems completely logical and worth it. But in the spiritual is absolutely absurdity and foolishness. Do you get it? Okay. So here is Jesus, and he comes to Peter and says, Okay, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful. What does it mean to be mindful? To be minding something, to be to have your mind constantly on. To have your mind constantly on, to be constantly thinking about. Okay. Or, in very crude English, to have your mind full of. Okay? To be mindful. Okay? You are not mindful 
of the things of God. Okay. This man just called Jesus the son of the living God. And he says, you're not mindful. You don't have your, you don't have your mind filled with things of God. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're not, you're not thinking. You've not put your mind. You've not applied your mind to the things of God in any way. You're not mindful on the things of God. Listen, what do you mean? What do you mean, he says? I, I just called you son of the living God. I just called you Christ. I mean, we do that all the time, don't we? Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God forbid it. Let that not happen. Right? That's what happens all the time. No, but if I do this, then what's going to happen afterwards? This is... That's operating out of the flesh. Completely. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of darkness. Right? What does he say? You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of darkness. No, he doesn't say things of darkness. He says things of men. Do you get it? Satan has his mind full of the things, not of some dark evil empire, but the things of fleshly carnal men. Get behind me, Satan, for your mind full of the things of men. I mean, you would have thought Satan is concerned with, okay, establishing his empire and all that stuff. Whoa, 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 whoa. He was concerned with the things of men. I mean, that's, that just, I, that's his identity, isn't it? He interfered in Adam and Eve from the very beginning. He provoked David to have the senses. He moved, he moved Saul. He was a driving force behind Jezebel and, 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 and Ahab. To such an extent, there's this whole... Okay, there's another topic called the spirit of Jezebel. Come on, please. Like if you want to come out with a nice, awesome, smash, best-selling spiritual warfare book, call it the spirit of Jezebel and it'll sell. But, but really, he's the one who, who moved them, Right? I mean, this guy has been interfering in the things of men from the day one of humanity, literally. Think about it. The Bible speaks about dominions and principalities. Above whom? Above humanity. D- do you understand? Satan's Whole vengeance is against you. Okay. Now, if you operate out of the fleshly mind and carnal mind and are operating in the sway of the world, but you might say, but I'm born again. Listen. You can say you're born again. You can claim you're born again. 
But if you're under the sway of the wicked one, you're not born again. The sway of the wicked one, the fleshly carnal mind, enmity against God, concerned only with the things of men. But I'm thinking of my good, of the good of my family. Yes, I know. It's not wrong to think good of your family. But if you're thinking the good of your family from a fleshly point of view, then you will think of the good of the family from a devilish point of view, from a worldly point of view. If you're thinking the way of God, the things of God will lead you to think in a different direction as far as the good of your family is concerned. And so, the fleshly carnal mind thinks of the things of men. That's why Peter was not even thinking. See, listen, Peter was not even listening to what Jesus said. Jesus said, very clearly, it mentions that, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He mentions them. He speaks to them about being raised the third day. But the fleshly mind misses the whole point. The real question, the real statement that Peter should have taken aside Jesus and said, listen, why is this going to happen really? I mean, die and then rise again. How is that going to happen? What is this? No, he doesn't even ask him that. He says, far be it from you, Lord. You're not going to be killed. He misses the point entirely. I mean, Jesus literally preaches the whole gospel to them. And he misses the point. Because the fleshly mind is an enmity against God. You can't operate under a fleshly mind and listen to God. Oh man, you can do Bible study, you can have a doctorate in theology, you can have be a master's in, in divinity studies, but that's just not going to make the cut if you are a fleshly mind. Some people ask me, uh, like I remember somebody asked me, I want to serve God more, please tell me which Bible college I can go to. And my answer is usually standard. The best Bible college you can go to is the Bible. In the school of the Holy Spirit. In the school of the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. You can't, you can't. See, listen, you can't be fleshly. You can't. What does it mean to be fleshly? To be fleshly means that my mind is concerned with the things of men. It's very simple. If you ever have a doubt, what does it mean to operate in the fleshly? To operate in the fleshly, I'm stunned at what I'm saying myself, but to operate in the fleshly is to operate concerning yourself with the things of men. Because that's what Jesus says. Concerning yourself with the things of men. Does it mean I'm not supposed to help one another? That's not what it says. But if you're going to help somebody because that person has helped you, that's not the real motivation. You've got to help somebody because you're commanded by the Lord to bear one another's burdens. Listen, the whole orientation is not you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Why should I go for this one's birthday? It never came for mine. 
I mean, that's the kind of you scratch my back, I scratch yours mentality that we have. But Jesus says, listen, you've got to change that. That's got to change. You've got to stop having a man-to-man relationship mentality and change to God-to-man relationship mentality. And in that case, I'm not going to help somebody out because they helped me or didn't help me. I'm going to help somebody out because my Lord commands me to. And I'm not my own. I've been bought. Listen, the key to hearing the voice of God is consecration. You've got to be consecrated to God. You've got to understand that your whole life is set apart for the Lord. You don't have your own life. It's the Lord's. You've been bought. You've been purchased. You belong to Him. Your life is His. We met somebody the other day and the person was saying, listen, I have this plan for my business. I've got this plan. I want to do this for my business. And you could see it in in this person's eyes. You could see the love, the passion for this ambition that this person wanted to achieve. Then I I told this person, I said, listen, unless you count it all loss, unless you count it all loss, you can't come to Christ and say, he's your Lord. Really? All that loss? And I tell you, I've, I've tried it more than once with more than one people and every time I've said it, it's brought tears to people's eyes. Because that's where their heart is. Listen, where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where's your heart, brothers and sisters? Where's your heart? Oh, it's on my family. It's on my children. I hate to break it to you, but that's the wrong place to put your heart in. You've got to put your heart in the Lord. And if you've really got the identity of who Christ is right, it will automatically lead you to love your family. It will automatically lead you to care for your children the right way. It will automatically lead you to care for your, to, to, to care for your marriage, for your family, for whoever you have, your near and dear ones, and even people you don't know. You've got to have your heart in the right place. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. And where your treasure is, there's where your excitement is. There's where your passion is. That's where your security is. That's where, that's where your whole life is. You know, most of you have not even asked yourself this question. And I want, you, I want you to ask yourself this question today, right now. Close your eyes. Keep your eyes closed and ask yourself this question. Where's my heart? You've got to be sincere with yourself. You've got to be truthful to yourself. Because you can be, you can, as I told you the last time, you can speak Christianese as much as you want, like you speak Chinese and Hindi and, and Marathi and Konkani and English and French and Portuguese. You can speak Christianese. That's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to speak truth. And you've got to be truthful to yourself. And this is what you've got to ask. Where's my heart? 
If you're quick to say, ah, it's, it's on the Lord, I know it's on the Lord, check again. Because where your heart is, there's where your treasure is going to be. And where your treasure is, your whole life, your entire complete life is going to be revolving around the treasure. Your whole life is going to be revolving around the treasure. You know what the problem is? The problem is we don't trust God enough. We put our heart on something or some things or some issues and we make it our treasure because if that is not there, what else is there? And we feel, okay, fine, our careers, we put our heart in it. Am I saying it's wrong to have a job? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying it's wrong to have your job. But when you work, the word of God commands us that we work like we serve the Lord. Not like we are working for human beings, but like we are working for the Lord. Whether you've got a business, whether you've got a job, whatever you may be, you're working like you're working for the Lord. But if you've got your heart in it, you're going to work like you've got to work. And you've got to prosper in it. Am I saying it's wrong to prosper? I'm not saying it's wrong to prosper. But I'm saying once you have your heart on the Lord, then the Lord will always cause you to prosper. But if you've got your heart on the prosperity, then the prosperity will take wings and fly. That's what the word of God says, not me. When you, when you put your heart on that, that's where your heart is going to be. That's where your whole passion is going to be. Listen, if you've got a treasure, let's say you've got, let's assume it's legal in this country. Let's say it's legal in this country to have 50 kgs of gold biscuits. 50 kilograms of gold biscuits. And you've got it. Where are you going to keep it? I know, safe deposit locker in a very trustworthy bank. Where are you going to keep, of the, where are you going to keep the key of the locker? With me? Where? Okay, how often are you going to check that locker? I'm going to be content, you'll say. I'm going to be content that I have that much of gold in my locker. And then what? Think about think about it. Think about it. if you have a treasure of that sort, how will your life be? Listen, you will train your kids to be quiet about that treasure. Your whole life will be revolved around making sure that that treasure nobody much knows so that you can use it and just live, live a quiet life. Your training to your kids is going to be that way. 
Your marriage is going to be revolved around that. Your finances is going to be concerned about that. You will not put all in one safe deposit locker. You will put it in different safe deposit lockers across different banks. And whenever you want, you see the gold prices high, you will liquidate it. And you will put it in certain funds. And after those funds are, seem like they're going to crash, but the, the gold prices have kind of dropped low, you will then take it and your whole life will be revolved around making sure that you take care of that. You know why? Because your heart's in it and that's your treasure. What's your heart in? And you know how it is? It's like when that's your treasure, you suddenly happen to glance on the exact news articles to do with it. You open magazines, you open newspapers, and suddenly you glance on those articles which otherwise you would have ignored. But because it's your treasure, that's what you look at. And it comes to you. The forwards come to you suddenly to do with your treasure. But you've not told anybody. But they come. Because if you've got a treasure, the voice you hear that leads and guides you will always be to do with your treasure. So where your heart is matters. Because that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is. Everything you hear will need to do with that. I tell you again. The carnal mind is fleshly logical. But spiritually complete absurdity and foolishness. In the flesh point of view, the carnal mind is completely logical. But in the spiritual point of view, if you look at it from the spiritual point of view, it is complete absurdity. And before you look and point fingers around you, you've got to check in your life. Where's your heart? Is it on a dream you have? Is it on an ambition you have? Because if you notice, if you check, and if you check sincerely, if your heart is on a dream or an ambition that you have, everything in your life will revolve around that. Do you know something? Your whole family will revolve around that because that's where your treasure is. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. Now before you think, okay, sickness, disease, sufferings is all part of it so that I can lead to life. That's not what it's trying to say here at all. It is not difficult because there is suffering. It is difficult because you've got to die to self. Difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You've got to walk on the narrow gate. You've got to be walking on the narrow path. And the narrow gate and the narrow path. See, listen, there's a narrow gate. And there's a wide gate. 
There's a difficult way and there's a broad way. You've got to understand both all three, all four. There's a narrow gate, there's a broad gate. There's a difficult way, broad way. Narrow gate, wide gate. Difficult way, broad way. Narrow gate, you can't take much with you. Wide gate, you can take a lot of baggage. Difficult way, needs you to be quick, efficient, flexible in a sense of not flexible to the truth, but, but uh, how may I put it? Listen, if there is a path that has got all sorts of stones, you've got to wear the right shoes. You've got to be agile to be able to boom, 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 walk on that path. But if you're walking on the broad way, you'll walk like it's a walk in the park. If you're walking on the narrow gate, all you're thinking about on, on, the, on the difficult path, all you're thinking about is the path ahead of you. When you're walking on the broad way, the broad path, you're not concerned about the path. What are you concerned about? Listen, in the times of Jesus, there actually was, in city walls, a narrow gate and a broad gate. The narrow gate would be usually a small gate in the wall of the city that had a mountainous path that led through the narrow gate and inside. But it's, it's the broad way where the shops were. It's the broad way where the sellers and hawkers were. Because the Broadway people would come in droves. You see? And when you're walking down the Broadway, you're looking around. You're not concerned about the way. But Jesus said, I am the way. The path is not difficult because it is a lifelong path. No, 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 no. The path is a decision. See, the moment you enter into Jesus, you have life. Yes or no? Now he says, narrow is the gate, difficult is the path that leads to. So before you come, as you're coming to Jesus, it's that difficult path where you've got to die to self and come to him. Then you have life. We've got this idea that narrow gate and difficult path is a lifelong process until life is heaven. That's what we think, right? We, we, think, we think that there's a narrow gate and there's this difficult path that I have to walk on until one fine day there's a sunrise somewhere. And broad path is like a broad gate, a broad way until someday there's some fire down here. That's not what it is. You yourself have confessed that if you've come to Christ, you have life. Right? He says, I am the truth, the way, and the... If you have Christ, you have... But you can't have Christ if you're on the broad way. Do you get it? It's mutually exclusive. You can't walk on the broad way and have Christ. It's the entry point into this life of Christ. It's the entry point into a Christian life. It's the entry point into living like Christ. That's what he's trying to say. Narrow is the gate. Difficult is the path. Your life begins the moment you take it and enter inside. That's when your life begins. 
Your life begins the moment you take it and listen. You've got to understand that you either walk this life or this life. You can't walk both. You can't go here and here. You've got to walk either this or that. The fleshly life is going to be the broad way. The spiritual life is going to be the difficult way. It's not difficult because it is painful for you. It is difficult because... And I'm sorry I have to keep reiterating the same thing again and again. It is not difficult because it's painful for you because you're going to have a lot of sickness. It is difficult because first of all, not many people are going to agree with you. Second of all, there's high likelihood that you will be persecuted for the truth. Not because you went into some shop and broke some bars. For the truth. Not because you went and shoplifting somewhere. For the truth. Okay? And the third reason it's going to be difficult is because you're not going to like doing it every time. It's not going to be suiting your likings. It's not going to be suiting your flesh. It's not going to be suiting what you love, what you, what you long for. It's not going to be suiting that. You may be called, like I remember this missionary who went... Uh, who, was, who was doing massive revival work in, in some African, uh, in some uh, Mexican villages, uh, and there were these tribals from different areas, and these tribal chiefs called him, and they said, come on, sit here, we want to talk to you. And they gave him a glass of water. And I tell you, the best this missionary could ex- explain this water was bug water. It was full of bugs, it was extremely pathetically dirty. And they kept it before him. And he just remembered what Jesus had said. He says, when you go and you go into a house, whatever's kept before you, eat it. So he drank it. And apparently, the moment he took his first sip, those tribal kings said, we've seen what you've been doing. We want you to teach the same thing to all 15 tribal villages. Can you please do that? And he got a free access to all those tribal villages which were usually closed to Christianity and missionaries completely. Listen, your flesh does not say drink that, does it? Your flesh says, oh. We're city city people, right? That's not going to go down well here. We're going to have a digestive problem. Or we'll drink it and we'll say, um, maybe I'll uh, try and get some digestive later. Maybe that will help. Because we're operating in the flesh. Listen, walking on the difficult path means you're not ashamed to share the truth. Walking on the difficult path means the sharing of your faith becomes effectual by acknowledging what good God has put in you. Working on the difficult path means you might not have mega churches. Working on the difficult path means you might not be recognized. You will not I'm not saying you will not, I'm saying you might not be recognized. 
because they were great men of God who were recognized for the work that they did. But you're definitely recognized by God. Walking on the difficult path may mean that you may not have 15, 16 different planes. But if you're walking spiritual, man, you can do it Philip style. Philip style, you don't even need a visa. It's a better life. Really, it's a better life. I'm telling you, the spiritual rules the physical. The spiritual rules the physical. What is in the flesh complete? What did I say? What is illogical in the flesh may actually be completely logical in the spirit. And what is considered logical in the flesh is quite often absurdity and foolishness spiritually. I remember when we had gone to pray for this person close by and um, there were people there who were trying to say, you know, convince him to go to the doctor, convince him to go to the doctor, come on, please convince him to go to the doctor. Um, I said, see, listen, I'm not against him going to the doctor. I'm not against anybody going to the doctor. Anyone who needs to go to the doctor has got their own free will to go to the doctor. But listen, I've come on a different track. I've come on a track where I want to pray for the person and set the person free. You convince him to go to the doctor because if I do, I'm trying to say, I'll pray for you, you may be healed, but don't take a chance, go to the doctor. That means I don't have faith. So many people say, so you're against doctors. I'm not against doctors. My wife was a doctor. I'm not against doctors in any way. I'm not saying don't go to doctors. Not at all. But don't, don't mix the two. If you want me to pray for you, then I'll pray for you. If you want me to suggest a doctor, then don't you ever dare ask me to pray for you after that. Because I'll only talk doctor stuff. I'll tell you the best of doctors in town. But you can't mix the two. You can't, be, you can't be talking flesh and spiritual at the same time. Not possible. But you might say, but that's, but that's harsh. I mean, people look to you for advice. They're looking to you for advice. They want to know, should they take to the doctor or not? I don't know. I don't know. Discuss with your family. That's what we tell them. Discuss with your family. Check out with your family. Whatever your family says, you decide whether you want to go ahead with it or not. It's not, it's not my call. And, and that's the policy that every one of us, I think, should follow, when, especially people who have been with us and have been trained by us. You go to pray for somebody, listen, pray for the person. I know sometimes it gets a little touchy. I know sometimes it gets a little difficult. I know it's difficult. I know that. I know that. I know that. But if you're on one track, you can't mix up another track. If you're on another track, okay, only follow that track. Don't follow this. You've got, you've got to understand that you've got to be flexible based on the situation. 
Am I saying that if a, if a young child is, is, is like really, really bad and really sick, don't take to the doctor, only pray and build up your faith? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to put any life in danger. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying build up your faith, pray for the person to be healed. But if your faith is not built up enough, live to fight another day. If your faith is not built up enough, live to fight another day. Right? We've got to ask ourselves where our heart is, brothers and sisters. Because where your heart is, there's your treasure. Where your treasure is, your whole life will revolve around it. Where your heart is, your treasure is, where your treasure is, your life is. And if your treasure is on a narrow on a narrow gate, if your treasure is Christ, if your heart is on the Lord, now what do I mean by your heart is on the Lord? Because I've, again, half my time goes in trying to explain things because there's such a lot of misconceptions. What does it mean for your heart to be on the Lord? Am I saying, okay, fine, you're supposed to make these beautiful poems to the Lord? No, no, no. If your heart is on the Lord, you will do what He says. He says, do unto others as you want others to do unto you. So you'll do what he says. If your heart is on the Lord, you will build the kingdom. If your heart is on the Lord, you will put yourself in the word and you will try to help one another. You will love one another. If your heart is on the Lord, you will do this. That's what being on the Lord means. That's what it means to have your heart on the Lord. You've got to have your heart on the Lord so that your treasure is on the Lord. Amen? So the next thing that you've got to understand, if you've got to understand how to hear the voice of the Lord, it's very, very, very important that you can't operate in the fleshly. You cannot operate in the flesh. Operating in the flesh and trying to hear the voice of the Lord is at best dangerous. It has caused trouble. It has caused trouble. It has caused trouble. Like I know a bunch of people who went up to, to, um, to this man who was on um, a wheelchair in a hospital, in the government hospital somewhere in Goa. And this couple of people were sharing the gospel. Now you might say, wait, they were sharing the gospel, they were evangelizing. Now that's spiritual, right? Hold on. Just because you're talking about Jesus does not mean you're acting in spiritual. So they talk about tracts, they talk about, they were sharing the gospel, they came to this guy. Now this guy belonged to another religion. So they said, see, it's because of this religion that you're following that you're poor. It's because of this religion that you're following, you're where you are. What's that? Fleshly or spiritual? Now what about everything that they preached before that? Completely. See, listen, I can try and memorize the gospel and I can know the gospel and I can tell the gospel. I can be an orator. I can say a lot of stuff. I can do a lot of stuff. But listen, at best, it's complete. Listen, think about all the superheroes, okay? Do you know almost every superhero that you see about in many of these programs, 
and cartoons and a lot of stuff. Many of the superhero abilities are basically rare. Listen to me, listen to me very carefully. Most of the superhero abilities are rare diseases that cause the person to act in that way. You don't believe me? Okay. I think there was this, um, what's it? What's a, what's a guy that, whose whole body is like a stone kind of a thing? Uh, no, 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 not, not Hulk, not Hulk. Not Hulk. The whole body is like a stone, 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 stone kind of thing. Uh, Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. Well, there is a rare disease that makes a person's body look that way. Do you understand? And that disease involves tissues that really harden into bones. And so there's a skeleton system. And above that, there are bones. And so the whole body looks like a bony, stony structure. It's a very pathetic state to be in. Or the guy who can't feel any pain. That feels like a superhero ability, right? But you know what? It's an actual disease. And these people live very dangerous lives. Because they don't know when a nail is going through their feet. They don't know when their, when their leg is caught fire. Because they don't feel any pain. But you know what? We look at these things and we say, wow. Amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing to have these? So, and, we, and, and our kids have been brought up in it. But you know what? Fleshly, logical, is spiritual absurdity. Drill it in. Take it in. Drill it in. Fleshly, logical, is spiritual absurdity. Or what about the guy who's superhuman? Like Hulk, right? The guy very muscular strength. I know that there are two-year-old boys having more muscle than any bodybuilder I've seen. Two-year-old guys. You know why? They've got a specific condition where the fat in their body is very, very less and the muscle has grown more in proportion. That has given them strength let me tell you, it's really not nice. Really not nice. And these people can eat all that they want, but it doesn't accumulate any fat. The guys who can't feel any pain, that's because a certain part of their brain is just switched off. There's people like, if you say, I feel so sleepy, I've got lots of sleep. Would it be a nice superhero ability to, to, to feel rested with a small, short amount of sleep? Do you know that's a disease? There's an actual disease that leads to a person sleeping only four hours and still feeling rested. But it's a disease. It's an abnormality. Fleshly logic is spiritual absurdity. Fleshly logic... Fleshly logic is going to tell you. Fleshly logic is going to tell you to please save as much as you want. Listen, don't give to people just like that. Huh? Others, they take advantage afterwards and they hook onto you like a leech, you know. But according to the word of God, that's spiritual absurdity because the word of God says, give to whoever asks of you. 
fleshly logic is going to tell you, see, listen, that particular person, please, I don't know, I just hate that person. The word of God says, love your enemies. Fleshly logic is going to tell you, you had something very sour, looks like you're headed for a sore throat next. Spiritual absurdity, you know why? Because the word of God is very clear that every sickness is an oppression from the devil. And through the stripes and bruises of Jesus, you were healed. These are spiritual principles, which are going to miss out on. Many of these spiritual principles are not specifically Christian. They are spiritual principles of the spiritual realm. And whether you are Christian or not, they are followed. Because there are certain principles that are in place, which as a Christian is to our advantage. Do you understand? So we've got to understand that we've got to walk in the spiritual, not in the physical. Walking in the spiritual is going to lead you to listen to God directly, properly. Walking in the flesh may make you seem like the most logical, most wise guy in town. But in the spiritual realm where the real battle is, you just made yourself wear that dune's cap. And you've come before Satan looking like a joker. What does that make you? A sitting duck. Walk in the spiritual. Then you can listen to God and you will know when God speaks to you.